Thank you. Give the Lord a hand clap today. I mean, really give him one. He's worthy tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. That might would have been good enough for the mayor of Little Rock, but let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Shout him to the Lord with the voice of triumph tonight. Come on, give him some praise. Lift up your voice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bishop Holmes. And want to say what a privilege it is to be here again tonight in North Little Rock, this wonderful camp meeting and have enjoyed it so very much. Didn't arrive until early yesterday morning, but I have been so tremendously blessed by everything that has transpired, the good singing, beautiful instrumentals, and of course, especially the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. The early morning sessions for the ministers, God only knows eternity will, alone will reveal uh, the value of what we received in those sessions and then to the men and of course the ladies too in the Bible classes during the afternoon, the preaching at night, each of these men has obeyed God. Praise the Lord. And I appreciate it so very much. Glad that my family, most of my family was here to hear it be a part of it, including my brand new daughter-in-law. Amen. God's blessing me, finally, getting a daughter-in-law. Praise God. And uh, anyway, but uh, I, I do want to obey the Lord tonight. I know time is of the essence. And uh, uh, I will say this. I wonder how many people got apoplexy when they looked at the uh, brochure and saw that two of the longest-winded preachers in Pentecost were on the same night. <clears throat> but uh, Brother Pixler did very well. Uh, awesome tonight, didn't he? The bad news is that I've been told that since I didn't get to preach last year, I have to double up tonight. <laughs> No, that's not true. That's not true. Praise God. But I do want to deliver what I feel in my heart. I have been pregnant for a year. And that's way too long to be pregnant for a whole year. But I have only one message to preach tonight. And uh, it's what really the Lord had laid on my heart last year. And it hasn't let go of me. It's been kicking all this time. And, uh, you know, there was only one piece of the pie left. And I thought, surely I would get by, but Brother Pixler took it anyway. But I'm going to do my best to follow up. We, he and I did not compare notes. I didn't ask him what he was going to preach. He didn't ask me. And all I can say is that the Holy Ghost must be wanting to speak expressly in our midst tonight. Do you want to hear from the Lord again tonight? I, before I read my text, I do want to speak not only for myself, but for my family and all of the guests that are here. I'm sure that would like to be able to express it. My heartfelt appreciation to the saints of the First Pentecostal Church of North Little Rock for the outstanding hospitality 
reception courtesies shown to us not only this year but every year people working behind the scenes a lot of the church family not even being able to enjoy what we have enjoyed because they've been working and preparing food and and just doing what they can to serve us and we are deeply appreciative thank you pastor holmes and all of this local church for everything amen amen may the lord richly reward you it's a beautiful place to have church in tonight isn't it good to see the house full of god's people as sister holmes said i'm turning tonight in the book of psalms chapter 78 the book of psalms chapter 78 and i want to read several verses here tonight praise god beginning with verse number one of psalm 78 and uh, you may wish you had shouted before I get done, but uh, it's what I feel in my heart. The Bible said, give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us we will not hide them from their children showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn, and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. I want to speak to you on this very simple subject tonight. Our greatest assignment. Our greatest assignment. Would you one more time lift your hands and ask God to help us in the remainder of this service tonight everybody praying lord jesus one more time i come before you feeling so inadequate so conscious of my limitations my inadequacies but i pray that somehow you would harness this vessel of clay and use it for your glory and speak to this assembly god lend me your unction your anointing for a little while tonight speak to every heart and soul here this evening Hallelujah. Have your way, God. Have your way. Everybody pray. Come on, ask the Lord to help us. Jesus, Jesus, if we've ever needed you, we need you now. We need you today. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Praise God. God bless you. Tonight you may be seated. I believe tonight that we have a great gospel. It is a soul-saving gospel. It is a life-changing gospel. 
It is a habit-delivering gospel. It's a broken heart-mending gospel. It's a home-strengthening gospel, as we've heard preached already here tonight. How many of you love this message that we're preaching in this camp meeting? I believe that this Acts 2.38 message is still the only message that saves. It's not one of them, it's the only one. Praise God. I still believe the Bible means what it says. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. I know it's been quoted twice already here tonight, but the devil needs to hear it some more. And we need to hear it a lot more times. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children. Look what it, this message has produced right here tonight. Praise God. And we spend a whole lot of effort and money preaching this gospel and spreading it across our country and around the world. I believe in missions. I am a product of missions. Amen. I grew up on the mission field. My father was a missionary. Somebody brought to us this great message when I was only five years old. Two years later, I was filled with the Holy Ghost in an all-night prayer meeting and baptized in Jesus' name. I'm so glad somebody had a missionary burden to get this to where we were over five thousand miles away in a city of some 20 million people this message found us and it has changed our lives forever praise God so I am a product of missions and I believe in it with all of my heart and I try to be actively involved in it and if I can just put in a little plug here a few years ago the Lord laid on my heart uh, something and so we put together a, a missions foundation the international apostolic missions foundation and and we've used it as a vehicle to gather and disperse funds to the foreign mission fields and many pastors that are here tonight participate in this endeavor for which i am very very grateful but i'm going to tell you the real winners are the missionaries and the people of these in these foreign lands that are having the gospel preached unto them and just recently we passed the three million dollar mark in this effort and i'm so thankful for it and i salute every missionary that's in this house my uncle is here and my cousin and they're doing an awesome work for god in the country of brazil and there are brethren here from india and other parts of the world and i appreciate our missionaries don't you they are out there hazarding their lives and they're doing a work for god at great sacrifice and sometimes great peril and loneliness amen and they don't get to enjoy all the time what we enjoy but i appreciate them and we ought to pray for them all the time that god will give them an open door and grant them great revival in their fields of labor and i appreciate pastors that have a burden for missions and and churches like this one that send many thousands of dollars uh, across uh, the, the world to help spread this gospel i i believe that it should not just be all within our own 
four walls. We need to get a vision of the work of God, not only at home, but abroad as well. Can I hear an amen tonight? Praise God. And, and I also believe that the church should be busy with evangelism and outreach. And, and we need it in every one of our churches. We should have a passion for it. Amen. This world is lost and going to hell. And they need what we have. They need this great message. They need this great gospel. I believe it can save absolutely anybody. Praise the Lord. Well, that's kind of a tepid response, but let me just remind you, and such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified. Where would you be if somebody hadn't knocked on your door? Where would you be if somebody hadn't called your number, if somebody hadn't witnessed to you on the job or talked to you about this message? But I'm confessed that I am a novice and an amateur on that subject. There are men on this platform that have forgotten way more uh, about missions than I will ever know, or evangelism than I will ever know. But I appreciate uh, men with a burden and all of the efforts that are being made. But what I really want to emphasize here tonight is that long before we were given a mandate by Jesus Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, God had issued another command reflecting, I believe, a great concern of His. And that is our obligation and our duty and our responsibility to pass the knowledge that we have of God on to the generation to come. And he felt so strongly about it that the Bible called it here a testimony in Jacob and a law in Israel. It was as though God was not giving us an option. He was saying, you will do this. You will put your hands to this task. You will work diligently at this. This is a divine assignment that I believe is our greatest assignment tonight. And I'm going to confess to you this evening that I share in that concern. Amen. I believe that that's why we have conferences and camp meetings and special services like this. And why it is so important is not just to have a good time and pat each other on the back and congratulate one another. Amen. But it is to somehow refocus and recalibrate and re-energize ourselves and, and to continue to proclaim and declare this great message in the hope that somebody will get a vision and a revelation of it deep down in their soul. Ladies and gentlemen, what we are doing here tonight has got to outlive us. If it doesn't, then what is this all about anyhow? I just attended a funeral a few days ago of an elderly saint, 86 years old. And I heard the accolades about what a wonderful child of God that she was. And what a Christian and what a great example, etc. But I looked over where the family was sitting and there weren't any children. And no grandchildren or great-grandchildren that had any semblance of Pentecost whatsoever. And I thought, my God, I don't want to have a love for this alone amen and when I die it dies with me I want it to somehow get across to my children and to my grandchildren 
We can sit here smug tonight and say it'll never happen to us. Amen. But I read in the book of Joshua where Joshua stood at the end of his tenure as he addressed the people. Amen. One final time. And he said the time has come. They were now in the promised land. And they had conquered the land. And they would fought all the great wars. And he assembled the congregation. And he said all right now we're here. We have finally arrived but it's decision time it's time for you to decide who you are going to serve are you going to serve the God that brought you out of Egypt or are you going to serve the gods of the Amorite in whose land you dwell and then he made this statement brother Pixler he said but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord he had been doing some homework he had been doing enough work at home that he was confident that he was speaking not only for himself but for his entire household we will serve the Lord and that's wonderful and great but the Bible then just a couple of chapters later in the second chapter of Judges said that Israel lived for God they served the Lord all the days of Joshua amen and then they served the Lord all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua but then there arose another generation that knew not the Lord neither the works that he had done for Israel you know the first thing that comes to my mind somebody did not do their job somebody dropped the ball because a generation came along that did not know the Lord hallelujah Amen. And as I look across the landscape of Pentecost, maybe not in this room here tonight, but in many places in Pentecost, I'm telling you, it's disheartening what you see. As Sister Holmes mentioned, whole churches, amen, that are going down the tubes. Whole churches, some of them powerhouses in Pentecost, where some of the greatest men preached, amen, where they had, where they have rich heritage in history, today are filled, amen, with the trappings of this modern day charismatic movement. And when you go into some of them, it's as though you're looking. I'm just going to preach how I feel tonight. Amen. You, you see what looks like two congregations. You see the older congregation that still has kind of those little Pentecostal hairstyles. And then you see another group coming on. Brother, they're arrogant. They're proud. They swagger. Amen. They don't have an ounce of godliness. Church is a social institution for them. Give me plenty of volume up here. Amen. Churches where young people are worldly and carnal and sensual. I see them down in our area. And I know I've mentioned this before. And please don't, uh, don't get tired of me saying it. But I go into the restaurants. And of course we're surrounded by every flavor of Pentecost in our area. And the young people come in. The girls with their skirts up to here. And still split. And the no, low necklines. Amen. And, and the trimmed hair. And the makeup and it's not just rings on the fingers anymore it's toe rings and in long sideburns and the goat teeth I'm talking about oneness Pentecostal young people 
You say it won't happen to us. It will happen to us unless we take this charge to heart. Oh, I get angry. I really get angry when our own young people walk up and go across the restaurant and start chatting with them. Amen. And having conversations. I get more nervous when they're talking to them than when they're talking to rank sinners. Because there's a spirit associated with it. Sensuality exudes from them. Can I tell you something? If in our strong churches where we preach the devil out of people every chance we can, we still have outbreaks of fornication and, and, and uncleanness. Can you imagine what's going on in some of those places where it's never mentioned and sin is never named? But I don't get as mad at the young people as I do at the parents. Who as Brother Pixler has already so ably preached tonight, thought that they could just bring the kids to church and leave it up to the Sunday school teachers and leave it up to the pastors to indoctrinate their kids. I've been preaching it to my church, Brother Pixler. Amen. He said, the Bible said, talk to them when you're sitting in your house. Somebody has got to sit down in your house and say, let me tell you how it is. This is why we don't do that. This is why we don't go there. This is why we're not a part of that. Hey man, I get mad at the pastors that are shutting their mouths because they're afraid to run some tithe payers off. Afraid they'll lose their choir director or their crack musician. Can I tell you, we have to go back to just strumming a box guitar and clapping our hands. Let's not accommodate this world. Sometimes it's just because, amen, the pastors have grown weary. They have fought this battle for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. And now they're just tired. And they want to go home and go to bed and not have all kinds of trouble every time they turn around. You know, the, you know, the, 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 the hardest thing there is in the world is to tell some people no. Because then the fight's going to be on, brother. They'll be singing your praises till then. Oh, we thank God for our pastor. He's a wonderful man. Until you have to tell them or their kids no. And people want the preacher to preach as long as he's not stepping on their sons and their daughters' toes. You need to take the pressure off the pulpit and let the preacher preach. Their hands are getting tired. They're just getting tired. I've heard it. They've said it to me. I'm just tired. I still believe it, but I'm tired. Hey Amen. Can I tell you, we do not have the luxury of tiring in this fight. We do not have the luxury, amen, of growing weary in this struggle. The future of the kingdom as we know it is at stake.
Give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. I can have some water here somewhere. Praise God. Amen. Be seated. Be seated. And so, you know, I believe that in this place tonight, there are pastors and preachers that are dedicated to this end. And uh, this camp meeting is one effort, and I appreciate uh, the way Brother Holmes is doing it and, and uh, having, uh, you know, special uh, focus on, on, uh, on the youth and even the children and whatever. And I think it's all important. And then there are youth camps and youth conferences and rallies and fellowship meetings and so on. And then there are even uh, those uh, churches and uh, that, uh, you know, they have a church school in order to uh, protect their kids for as long as possible and, and to try to teach them and indoctrinate them. But, but I have learned that, uh, you know, it's not necessarily during the school years that we're most apt to lose our young people. It's when they get out of school and they step into the workforce or they go to college what good is it to protect you from this world until you graduate if as soon as you get in the world and face it head on you lose everything you've got somehow or another this has got to filter down from our heads down into our hearts Why is it that coming of age becomes the kiss of death to so many young folks? Why is it that a driver's license becomes the kiss of death to so many young folks? Suddenly have the independence to come and go, to run the roads, to go here and to go there and to get into this trouble and into that trouble. What's wrong with this generation that thinks you've got to be doing something every single minute? What's wrong with sitting at home and relaxing every now and then and having some quiet time? Got the little earbuds in our ears and we're listening to music. Amen. Almost 24 hours a day and MP3 players and CD players and, and music and stories and all this stuff. There's no time for meditation. There's no time for contemplation. There's no time for thinking about God. The devil wants to occupy your every single moment so you don't have a chance to think about God. Praise the Lord. I told you, you might have wished that you had shouted. Praise the Lord. But where are the young folks like Moses who when he had come to years refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? How many do we have sitting here tonight thinking as soon as I get 18, as soon as I get of age, I'm going to run out and see what I look like. A young lady might say with my haircut and some makeup on. I want to look, I want to see what I look like, uh, like somebody on the cover of Cosmopolitan magazine or some young man wants to look like somebody stepped out of Gentleman's Quarterly. Hey, this has got to get down into your soul somehow to where when it comes time for you to make your own decisions you will take a stand and say uh-uh no this is in my heart the bottom line is this i believe that there are men that are willing to pass it on but who is willing to pick it up who is willing here tonight to buck the trends and the times and to fall in love with this truth and live for God? Praise God. 
Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you something. We cannot make enough rules and regulations to keep you living for God if you don't want to. Can I just preach to the young folks here a little while? Is that all right in camp meeting? We're going to make rules and regulations. I appreciate what Brother Godare said last night. If you don't have any convictions, we have enough for you and us both. Hallelujah. Amen. But sooner or later, you're going to have to get this for yourself. Sooner or later, you've got to work this out with fear and trembling. Sooner or later, you're going to have to take responsibility for your own destiny and realize that your eternal, uh, your eternal well-being is at stake. We're living in a rapidly changing world. Amen. It's changing all the time. Uh, the things that we're having to cope with today, we didn't have to cope with 20 years ago. And, and you know, one of the greatest challenges that we are facing uh, today is the advance of technology. Technology has invaded every aspect of our lives. Some of it we can't do anything about. Others we can Praise the Lord. Of course, it started, you know, decades ago with radio and, and then television came on the scene. And men had enough foresight to take a stand on it back then, even when the programming was relatively innocent compared to what is uh, available in programming today. But, uh, you know, televisions, uh, we took a stand and, you know, we don't need them. Get them out. It's primarily an entertainment tool and, and uh, we can live without it. And thank God for that. And then now it's, it's computers and, and along with computers, amen, there's the internet and all of the pitfalls that are available there. And, and, you know, the internet, as, as you know, is both what can be one of the most useful as well as one of the most dangerous instruments to come along in a long time. Now hear me carefully tonight. I've heard it said that it's not being addressed in this day. Well, in the places that I go, it is being addressed. Men are drawing attention to it. Men are talking about it and preaching about it. And it's happened right here. Amen. In the last few years, men preaching about it. But here's the problem. This technology is expanding and changing so rapidly that the rules we set today are obsolete just a few months from now. The stand we take today is redundant a year from now. Praise the Lord. And, and you know, it's coming down to this. If it's in your heart to do wrong, there is no way we can stop you from it. Now, you know, every pastor has to do his best. Every pastor needs to draw the line where he is comfortable. And maybe there are differences here tonight in where that line is drawn. Amen. And I'm going to tell you this much anyway. It is for sure that nobody, not just our young people, nobody has any business in chat rooms of any kind. I don't care if they're Pentecostal chat rooms. You are more apt to write what you would not say face to face. 
you can get in trouble in a hurry. Well, I'm just going to talk here tonight. We'll see where it goes. Praise the Lord. And uh, so, you know, we have all these horror stories that are emerging of illicit relationships and marriage breakups and so on. Amen. Just Sunday, I read something in the news about a young lady, 14 years old, that uh, had started communicating with a 27-year-old man from another state. And, uh, and the uh, communication became, of course, uh, uh, very intimate. And uh, he was, he was uh, of course, seducing her. And the parents found out about it. And they, they shut down her account. She was a part of one of these big deals like MySpace or whatever. They shut down her account. And they got rid of the computer. They removed the computer. But you know what? She went to her friend's house. And she communicated through a friend and through other venues. And they finally hooked up. And of course, uh, they got involved sexually. And then, because of guilt and remorse, one night while her parents were at church, they came home and found that she had hung herself in her bedroom. They shut down the account. They removed the computer. And she still went that far. We can't make enough rules. If you want to break them, you can find a way to break them. Oh, Lord, have mercy. You know, I feel a spirit of hell rising up right now to oppose this message. But by the grace of God, I'm going to try to get it across. The point is, we can have a zero tolerance approach. And if you want to get around it, you can. First of all, and, and, and this may make somebody angry, I don't know, but first of all, can I just say, the internet did not invent pornography. And illicit relationships did not begin with the advent of the internet. It started a long time ago. People been doing it for years and decades. So even without it, you can get in trouble if that's what you want to do. Now granted, the internet has facilitated it and made it so much easier and so much accessible. The world has encroached upon us, coming closer and closer. Danger is within easy reach. But we can tell you, don't you can't have it at home, only on the workplace. And then I read that 80% of all pornography is accessed at the workplace. And so you can be standing there saying amen while your pastor's preaching, and you can still be finding a way around it. Praise God, be seated. I'm just going to preach here tonight. I don't... You know, here's another problem. Here's another problem. Many of our pastors today are older men. They are not tech savvy. They don't know hardly anything about it. Some of them admit freely yet today they've never even turned the computer on. They wouldn't know how. Many of them wouldn't know uh, what the internet was if they were looking at it in the face. And you know what? Young folks are smart. They can figure out ways to finagle around and sneak around. And you can defeat your pastor if that's in your heart.
I said you can defeat your pastor if that's in your heart. Want me to take it one step further? You want me to tell you what I think is as destructive an instrument as we have ever dealt with in our time? Let me show you what it is right here. See, you can say, regardless of what position or where your pastor draws the line, you can say, I don't have the internet, I, can, I don't do the internet. You can do anything a computer does with this thing right here. And you may have figured out that your pastor is ignorant enough that he doesn't know that. I'm going to tell you something else already. The high-end cell phones have the capacity to receive streaming video. You can have TV on your cell phone. By this time next year, just about every model will have that feature. If that's in your heart, that's what you're going to do. Hey man, some of these kids, they're so good at text messaging, they can do it without even looking down. I've seen them do it. They can text message with, you know, the young folks, they were wanting to get behind me tonight. Now they're looking like deer caught in the headlights. It's like, don't say no more, Brother Alviar. You're giving our secrets away. known young ladies to be able to text message with their hand inside their purse while church is going on without looking down and be text messaging somebody across the congregation and they can be communicating while they ought to be worshiping and listening to the preaching something unless you're a person amen who's on call for emergency purposes when you come to church turn your stinking cell phone off you're not that important you can't give God that much time And nowadays, you can't separate people. You can't tell people you can't have nothing to do with that boy over there or that girl. Because with their cell phones and text messaging, they can get around that, brother. And you know what's happening? Parents are sending their little darlings off to bed, and the lights are going off, and they think, there, they're tucked in bed, they're going to sleep. They're sitting under, they're laying there under the covers, text messaging, or talking to somebody they should not be communicating with. I'm not saying they're all doing it, but it's a big problem, brother. It's such a big problem that in the schools of Calcasieu Parish, at least for the last couple of years, they outlawed cell phones at schools. Because they were on the phone or text messaging while they were supposed to be doing classwork, or worse, they were text messaging to each other the answers to the tests, the problems on the test, or worse than that, they were taking indecent pictures of each other in the restrooms and sending them via text phone to their friends. 
And then I heard of such things going on at some youth camps across America. All I'm trying to tell you is, I don't know what the answers are, brother. I'm looking for some answers. I'm listening. And so far, I have not heard any real good, viable answers that are, 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 are positions we can hold for a long time to come. Because it's changing. It's evolving. It's fluid. It's constantly uh, changing on us every time we turn around. I don't know what the answer is, but I will tell you this much. Increasingly, the answer is going to be, if you don't get this in your heart you're gonna be lost and if you want to defeat your pastor you can but you're gonna be defeating yourself you're gonna be the loser in the long run let's talk to the Lord tonight Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Amen. No wonder some of these kids are getting up in the morning and they're bleary-eyed. And they're tired. Because they're not sleeping. They're not resting. You know what, moms and dads? You need to get involved in that. Be sure that when you gave your darling a cell phone, you didn't give them a loaded weapon with which to self-destruct. Oh, they know how to lock the keyboard so you can't even get in there and check what they're writing to one another. Praise God. Pretty scary, isn't it? Pretty scary, isn't it? I tell you what, it's got me frustrated until I'm wondering who is going to survive this generation? Who's going to escape the day that we're living in? I don't know who is going to be, but I will tell you what kind of person is going to be is the person that falls in love with this truth and says, I don't care what the world does or what I could do, I'm going to do what's right because it's in my heart. We, you can be seated. We have to consider the future impact of everything we do or condone. It has to be projected forward and see what is this going to do and where is this going to take us. And it's the reason why, uh, you know, in the years past, we've gone to seed on some other things, for instance. You know, it seems like every year we preach about split skirts and people jump up and holler and scream amen, but they do it anyway. They do it anyway. They do it anyway. What are you thinking when you buy a skirt that's so tight that has to have a split in it for you to be able to walk? And what are you thinking when you come to church dressed like that? Can I tell you something, young ladies and uh, ladies in general? These men, these men have to deal with enough suggestiveness on the job and at school and on the billboards and everywhere they turn. They should not have to come to church and avert their eyes every time they turn around.
and visitors come to church dressed but bless your heart if you have the Holy Ghost and you've got that righteousness sister Holmes was talking about amen you ought not to be dressing in such a way as to draw attention to your body what are you thinking This might be too plain of speech, but I can't help it. I know that I have personally preached it here, year after year, talking about split skirts. And some folks, I'm not talking about people that belong here, but some folks still come back year after year. It's like, in your face, we're going to do it anyhow. You don't know what spirit you're of. wild hairdos and sideburns and sensual attire we go to seed on these things year after year we deal with it and some people never change now i want you to project that forward five and ten years if they're doing it now what are they going to be doing a few years from now if we let it slip if we let it pass if we don't address it now what are our churches going to look like just a few years from now you see it's not just your eternal destiny that is at stake but that of your children and i'm speaking now to the young folks in fact i want you to consider something with me the bible said here that the generation to come might know them even the children which should be born now think about this amen many of you are here uh, young men young ladies some of you maybe have boyfriends and girlfriends some of you may not some of you have no clue who your companion is going to be you don't know who you're going to marry you came looking in fact you came hoping you came with your resume amen you came with valiant prayers I see some poking going on here tonight and raise your hands brethren here's go ahead raise them you too right there raise your hand these two are volunteering here tonight in case you didn't know they're eligible evidently praise the Lord and so you don't even know who your companion is going to be so we're talking about a couple maybe two or three years before you get that figured out and you go through the dating process and, and then you get married and, and then uh, eventually kids come along hopefully the kids come after the marriage because can I tell you, there's way too many non-virgins walking up to the marriage altar in our Pentecostal churches. And, and so, you know, let's say anywhere from two to three to five years before you get that question settled, some of you, and you get married and, and you have your first child. Now then, they have to grow up. They have to grow up enough to where they are at the point you are at right now. And eventually, they will find a companion. And they will get married. And they will have children. And then that child has to grow up old enough to where they can appreciate the things that we are preaching in this camp meeting. So what we're talking about is anywhere from 25 to 40 years in the future. We're talking about keeping this message pure. And we're talking about keeping what you see and hear in this place tonight the same for another 25 or 40 years so that the children that are yet to be born can arise and declare them to their children
Now, I don't mean to be pessimistic, but I'm telling you, that just seems like, like such uh, almost an impossibility from where I stand. Do you understand how few churches there are in Pentecost that are 50 years and older that are still preaching the old-fashioned apostolic message? Many of them started out, amen, and they did so good, 20, 30 years, 35 years, and then another crowd comes along and things begin to deteriorate. This is a blessed church here in North Little Rock because it is way older than that and we're still preaching this in this church. You ought to be thankful and you need to give the credit where it belongs. Not because you're so smart, it's because somebody's been standing behind this pulpit and bringing other men to preach it. I appreciate what Brother Gross, my friend, said one time. He said, there is no such thing as a holiness church. There are only holiness preachers. Because when they quit preaching it, the church will quit being it. Brother Coon, we really do get what we preach. And it doesn't take long. It only takes about six months of not mentioning some things before they start to appear and crop into the congregation. If it only takes six months, can you imagine how much decay can take place in 25 to 40 years? And if we're dealing with the changes and advances in technology that I've spoken about in just the last five years, can you imagine the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? We've got to get enough young folks here tonight that get this down in your gizzard so that 40 years from now, there is still a church that is preaching what we're preaching here tonight. You can be seated. I've been to way too many churches where when you walk in, there's not the same feeling anymore. Not the same look anymore. Brother Holmes, God forbid that people should ever walk into this beautiful edifice and say, boy, it just doesn't feel like North Little Rock camp meeting anymore. But you know what? It doesn't take long. It just takes a few months and a few years and we've got to keep it to where those that are not even born yet will be able to grow up and then declare them to their children. Hallelujah. There's some things that it mentions here and I'll just touch on it briefly. But it said here, we will not hide them from their children showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord the praises of the Lord thank God for true worship not perverted praise amen you know that the new trend in Pentecost is choreography and special lighting effects and all this drama stuff you know and I know you know I'm not saying all of it is bad but when it becomes the main thing we're in trouble Ballet teams flitting across the platform in choreographed worship while the people go woo and ah. Pyrotechnics, smoke, 
coming out. Fake smoke, dramatizing for special effects. Can I tell you, that is no substitute for amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So I wish we had some of that. You know, we might be able to attract more people. The question is, what kind of people would we attract? We're not here to glorify ourselves. We're here to give praise unto him. We're not here to put our talents and abilities on display. We're here to lead the congregation in worship unto our God. Churches where the pulpits are being removed and they're being, the platforms are being converted to stages for dramas and preaching is becoming just a byproduct. Give me old-fashioned worship any day. Give me this power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Give me, he set me free. Yes, he set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. Is that too old-fashioned? I can't help it. But I tell you one thing, it's a contrast to what they're familiar with. And when they come in, the presence of God is unmistakable. It takes a whole lot of drama, and it takes a whole lot of entertainment, and it takes a whole lot of sensationalism to make up for a lack of anointing. Praise the Lord. Be seated. His praises. And then it said, can you give me a little more time here? And it said, and his strength. His strength. You know what his strength is? I believe his strength is his word. There's nothing like his word. We heard Elder Kuhn preach it today. Nothing like his word. It is the absolute essential ingredient. And many churches, even in Pentecost, now have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And that's why they're quick to pick up on every new gimmick that comes along. Pity the poor evangelist that can only preach. He's got to have other abilities and talents and pull rabbits out of the hat. Give me somebody who knows his way around the word of God and can preach. Hey, y'all knew, y'all knew I believed this before I came here tonight. And I still believe it. It's deep down in my heart. A couple of years ago, much of Pentecost was seduced by Hollywood. Through this movie, The Passion of the Christ. It's come to the point now where some Hollywood producers and filmmakers are being elevated to the same status as the apostolic ministry. Oh, if we could show that to our church, think of the impact it would have. Think of the many in our community that we could reach. And so they did it. Churches that had never done anything like that brought in the passion of the Christ. And I guess it's a powerful rendition. People walk out of there crying and carrying on. And oh, what a tremendous evangelism tool. Go back and find the converts today. Because I'm going to tell you something. It is very easy to mistake emotionalism for conviction. And there are a lot of things that can produce emotion. 
I said there's a lot of things that can produce emotion. A film can produce emotion. Music can produce emotion. Singing can produce emotion. But there's only one thing that can produce conviction. And that is the unadulterated preaching of the Word of God. On the day of Pentecost, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? I'm going to say it one more time tonight, just for good measure. It pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching, he would save them that believe. And if preaching can't do it, it can't be done. But I'm going to tell you, preaching can still do it. I know I'm being repetitious now, but if you entertain the men, you've got to keep entertaining to keep them in. If you sing the men, you've got to keep singing to keep them in. If you scare them in, you've got to keep scaring them to keep them in. But if you preach them in, all you've got to do is keep preaching to keep them in. Hallelujah. Be seated. What, what, what a tremendous display last night we had when Brother White called up the, this seems strange for me to say this, the young preachers under 40. I, I almost felt like I should be part of that group. And, and I got more energy to preach than most of them, I'll tell you that right now. Some of them won't even work up a sweat, won't get one hair out of place. Hey man, don't want to exert themselves. Fifteen minutes and they're gasping for breath. This is the war we're in! You don't fight a war in 15 minutes. Sometimes you got to preach so the world looks flat. Well, but, but it was beautiful. 100, 150, I don't know how many of these young men walked up here. And I believe that, that uh, the majority of them, if not all of them, have a real love for this message. But I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm concerned about a lot of young preachers coming up in Pentecost today. They're more interested in the look and the title than the message. And their talk centers around designer suits and alligator shoes and where'd you get that tie? And, and what model car they're driving or the latest truck and trailer rig. Amen. Instead of talking the book, talking the scripture, talking the things of God. Hey, if God prospers you, more power to you. But it's a whole lot more than what you put on, my friend. It's a whole lot more than getting to go first to the cafeteria. It's a whole lot more than having the status of the ministry. You gotta get this message deep down in your soul. It's not about, amen, just uh, cute slogans and amusing anecdotes and, and uh, catchy phrases and sermon titles. 
It's more than just trying to wow the crowd. Praise the Lord. Sermons do not come out of snappy sermon starters. And preachit.org. Or memorizing somebody else's tape and CD. Sermons are born on your knees. Sermons are born in prayer. Sermons are born with tears falling down on the pages. Sermons are born out of deep trials and tribulations and afflictions. And if you haven't had those yet, hang on, you will. Is anybody who preaches this gospel today is going to come under attack? In fact, can I just stop here a moment and say this? I, I, I think I, I see a, a scripture that we've used many times in another sense. I see it in a little different way tonight. Uh, and it is the scripture where Jesus said that the harvest is plenteous. But the laborers, Brother Smith, are few. And I know that that's an evangelism scripture. But I've also seen it in this way. If the laborers are few, it are, they are the laborers that the enemy is coming against tonight. That's why you went through what you went through. And many of these other men have. Because it's the laborers that the enemy wants to shut down. Those that are being productive. Those that really have their heart in it. It's the laborers that he despises. And if you're going to be a laborer in this gospel, you better get your war clothes on. Oh, this is the last night and I'm just going to preach till I'm done. I attended, I attended a few weeks ago, you can be seated. I attended a ship commissioning, a destroyer, the, uh, the USS Kid. It's the third version of the Kid. It replaces one who had replaced an original one named after an admiral. Uh, the admiral over the fleet at Pearl Harbor. He was on the bridge of the USS Arizona. Uh, admiral Kidd, I forget his first name now. Simeon, I believe, Kidd. Uh, and uh, uh, when it was, of course, torpedoed, and he was the first flag admiral to die in the Second World War. And they made a destroyer, named it after him, uh, while the war was still going on. And that one is on display at the Mississippi River Bridge at Baton Rouge. And then there was another one that took its place, and now this third one. And this third one is the most advanced, technologically advanced warship on the water. And I had the opportunity to attend the ship commissioning. Brother Jimmy Lee from Pascagoula, Mississippi, his daughter, Sister Amy Lee, is involved in all the ship commissionings in the U.S. Navy. And so she was part of the coordinating team and she sent us VIP tickets and so there we were and, and it was very interesting. But one thing that stuck with me is that one of those admirals addressing these shipmen that were standing at attention behind where we were sitting waiting to board the ship once it had been officially commissioned. He spoke to them and he said, this ship was made to fight so you had better learn how. And can I tell you, this church we're in was made to fight, so you had better learn how. But in the meantime, young preacher, can I tell you something? Learn to preach Acts 2.38 so much that...
that if somebody woke you up in the middle of the night, you could stand up and start preaching Acts 2.38. It's the only message that can change lives today. And I am alarmed. You can be seated. I am alarmed at, at the fact that some of the great churches in Pentecost, the result of decades of years of labor and toil, are being turned over to young Jim Dandies with their spiky hairdos and their fancy attire, and they don't have a clue about what this is about. Oh, they've learned the motions, and they've learned the right words, and they've learned the look, and the stride, and the hand gestures, but there's a whole lot more to it than that. If you're a young preacher tonight, fall in love with this apostolic message. Fall in love with it. Hallelujah. Some remind me of, of a young man by the name of Ahimaaz in 2 Samuel 18 after the battle in which Absalom was killed. Uh, there was another man who had been dispatched to David with the news. You know, this was before uh, radio transmissions and all the other things we have today. And so they had the dispatch messengers and Cushai had already been dispatched to David, but uh, he wasn't as fleet of foot as Ahimaaz. And so Ahimaaz said, let me do it. Let me do it. Let me go. Let me go. I want to go. And so they finally said, all right, go. So he took off, Choo, shot out like a bullet. And there he went and he passed old Cushai up left him in his dust and he got to David first and and even David looked up when he saw him he said who is that and they said it was Ahimaaz and he said oh he's a good man he's gonna he's gonna tell us what happened and when he got there he came bouncing up and all out of breath and the king said so what happened and he said happened uh well I don't know there was a, a great tumult there, there was a lot of noise. Well, there was sure a lot of fighting going on. Well, how did the battle end up? Well, uh, I don't know. And he said, well, stand over here to the side then. And then Cushai came and he had the message and it wasn't a good message. It wasn't what David wanted to hear. But Cushai had the message. Can I ask you something? When you leave this camp meeting, young preacher, what is going to be your perception of what happened here? Is it going to be, oh man, we had great services. There's a lot of shouting. There's a lot of screaming, a lot of hollering, a lot of noise going on. Or are you going to leave here with a message throbbing in your bosom? Let's lift our hands and love the Lord tonight. Praise God. Praise God. The hour is getting late and I'm going to have to hurry. I really am. But Elder Price... I tell you the truth, I really wish you were preaching right now. And I appreciate so much what you had to say this morning. Praise God. And uh, one of the highlights of my life was preaching a meeting together with Elder Paul Price. And I will carry that as a feather in my cap to my grave. Praise the Lord. But, uh, but you know something? Uh, Elder, I, this month I will be preaching full-time 30 years. That's not a record at all, but 30 years. I left evangelizing 30 years ago this month. Praise the Lord. And I really have tried, I promise you before God, I have tried to be faithful to this message for these 30 years. 
But I try to picture, I try to picture what a challenge it's going to be to hold on to it for another 30 years. With all the challenges that are coming against the church. And I don't envy these young men and the decisions some of them are going to have to make and the troubles that some of them are going to have to face. I tell you what, we need to pray for the apostolic ministry in this hour. It is no coincidence that men my age, 50 years old, 51, 52 years old, are dropping with heart attacks and all kinds of other diseases and physical problems at an ever younger age. The stresses and the pressures are incredible. It takes something to keep a movement like this going like it is year after year after year. And so now, even though I'm not an old man per se, I look back at 30 years and I see my sons. And a couple of them are already of age and one of them has already been ordained and he helps me in the church. And I look at them and, uh, and I realize that in the time that I have remaining, I have a task to somehow communicate this that I feel into their heart in such a manner that 30 years from now, they will still be preaching this same message. And... And the Bible said we have heard dark sayings from our fathers. And, uh, and so we will not hide them from our children. And I think about my dad and the things that I learned from him. I, I left when I was 12 years old and went to live with Brother Howard Davis in California for three years. And so 12 years is all I really had with my father. And after that... We came to Baton Rouge and my dad was back and forth on the mission field and I never had the chance to sit at his feet anymore. It was just those 12 years, that's all. But during that time, you know, I look back and I think about those all-night prayer meetings and I think about those communion services when we were flat on our face on the floor crying out to God and I, I remember my dad preaching the oneness of the Godhead so powerfully, so compelling. Somehow or another, ladies and gentlemen, it got deep in here. And after my dad suffered his stroke a few years ago, and I was by his bedside, and we were writing out his will together. He was telling me what to write, and who, to, who he wanted to have this, and who he wanted to have that. And then he said, and what do you want? I said, I don't want anything you have, because you have already given me the greatest gift anyone could ever give, and that is a love for this apostolic message. And I carry his picture in my Bible. He passed away three and a half years ago, but I am so eternally grateful for what was placed in my heart. Praise the Lord. Five or ten minutes and I'll be done, I promise you. I promise you, you knew it was going to be a while tonight, so don't act surprised. And so he did his job. He passed it on to me. And now, you know, here's the deal. My sons do not know anything about my upbringing. They have never spent one day on the mission field. I grew up 
attending church in ramshackle buildings, some of them with dirt floors, and uh, no heating, no air conditioning. Those big bugs that come in, those big bizojos that fly into those churches, hey amen, and they, they dive bomb the congregation and, and those rough benches. And we never had a car growing up. It was all taxis and buses and trains and sometimes late at night in dark, very dangerous places of the city. And uh, five of us kids, uh, one carrying a guitar, another one carrying an accordion and a tambourine and Bibles, and it was late at night and dangerous places, and that's my point of reference. And those are the services I attended, and, and that's what I fell in love with. And I have no way, no way of impressing on my sons what that was like because they don't have the same upbringing. Impressing on my sons what that was like because they don't have the same upbringing. Impressing on my sons what that was like because they don't have the same upbringing. Impressing on my sons what that was like because they don't have the same upbringing. Impressing on my sons what that was like because they don't have the same upbringing. Impressing on my sons what that was like because they don't have the same upbringing. Impressing on my sons what that was like because they don't